As we prepare now to read God's holy word, let's come before him in prayer. O Lord our God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that through these stories, these poems, these prophecies, and these letters, you show us who you are and how we can live in right relationship with you. And Lord, as we turn now to this gift of your holy word, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to us to convict us of our sins, to open our eyes, to open our ears, to open our minds, and to open our hearts to everything that it is that you would have us see and hear and know and believe. Transform us more and more, we pray, into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 18, starting at verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, or destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Now therefore say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. But they will reply, it's no use. We will continue with our own plans. Each of us will follow the stubbornness of his evil heart. And then turn the page to chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Go and buy a clay jar from a potter. Take along some of the elders of the people and of the priests and go out to the valley of Ben-Hinnom, near the entrance of the potsherd gate. There proclaim the words I tell you, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and people of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen, I am going to bring a disaster on this place that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle, for they have forsaken me, 
and made this a place of foreign gods. They have burned sacrifices in it to gods that neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah ever knew. And they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. They have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as offerings to Baal. Something I did not command or mention, nor did it enter my mind. So beware. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer call this place Topheth or the valley of Ben-Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. In this place I will ruin the plans of Judah and Jerusalem. I will make them fall by the sword before their enemies at the hands of those who seek their lives, and I will give their carcasses as food to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. I will devastate this city and make it an object of scorn, and all who pass by will be appalled and will scoff because of all its wounds. I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and daughters, and they will eat one another's flesh during the stress of the siege imposed on them by the enemies who seek their lives. Then break the jar while those who go with you are watching, and say to them, This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will smash this nation and this city, just as this potter's jar is smashed and cannot be repaired. They will bury the dead in Topheth until there is no more room. This is what I will do to this place and to those who live here, declares the Lord. I will make this city like Topheth. The houses in Jerusalem and those of the kings of Judah will be defiled like this place, Topheth. All the houses where they burned incense on the roofs to all the starry hosts and poured out drink offerings to other gods. Jeremiah then returned from Topheth, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy, and stood in the court of the Lord's temple and said to all the people, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen, I am going to bring on this city and the villages around it every disaster I pronounced against them, because they were stiff-necked and would not listen to my words. This is the word of the Lord. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, if you didn't realize it before now, you probably realize it now. The book of Jeremiah is not an easy book. Even passages that we know and love, passages that are dear to our heart, like this parable about the potter and the clay, are couched in passages and messages that are difficult to hear. Two weeks ago, Pastor Amanda preached to us on Jeremiah's call from Jeremiah chapter 1, where God tells this young man that he has been appointed over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. God tells him that he has made Jeremiah a fortified city an iron pillar, a bronze wall against the people of Judah because they will fight against him. But they will not overcome him, because God will be with him. 
And last Sunday, we saw why. As Pastor Carl led us through Jeremiah chapter 2, a narrative poem that traces out in great detail the rebellion of the people of God against their maker. And we're told, basically, that Jerusalem, the people of Judah, its kings and priests and officials and all the people are beyond saving. They have gone too far. And this is what makes the book of Jeremiah unique among the prophets. This is what makes it so difficult. Most of the prophets are sent to call God's people to repentance. Isaiah speaks words of comfort and calls his people back to God. Ezekiel has powerful visions of God in his glory and calls the people to turn back to worship the one true God. Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi all remind God's people of their special covenant relationship with God, of the principles of justice and mercy which they have failed to uphold, of the consequences of continuing to live in wickedness and sin, of the futility of idolatry, all for the purpose of giving God's people the eyes to see their sin in the hopes that it will convict their hearts so that they can turn from their wicked ways and be reconciled to God. The prophets call God's people back into right relationship with their maker. The prophets urge God's people to turn from their wicked ways and rest in God's mercy. But Jeremiah is different. Jeremiah still brings a message of repentance. But he brings a message of repentance that the people will not hear. He speaks to deaf ears. He knocks on hardened hearts. Jeremiah's message is that it's too late to turn back. Jeremiah's message is similar to the message of Jonah, who went to Nineveh in Assyria and cried out in the city streets, 40 days and the city will be destroyed. A message of judgment without hope, a message of destruction without restoration. Jeremiah's message is clear. God's people have broken the covenant. And because God is faithful to the covenant, God has no choice but to invoke the covenant curses. This theme of covenant is vital to Jeremiah's prophecy, vital to the whole book. And so it's worthwhile for us to take some time to unpack it, because it gets to the heart of God's character and God's faithfulness. When Jeremiah says that God's people have broken the covenant, he's referring to the covenant that God made with his people at Sinai, with Moses. When he gave them the law, not only the Ten Commandments, but the entirety of the Torah, the laws that are contained in the first five books of the Old Testament. These laws were intended to govern how God's people were supposed to live in the land that he had promised to their ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These laws govern everything from marriage to how to harvest a field, everything from court proceedings to what you can and can't eat. The law of God was intended to shape God's people, so that they would be ambassadors, so that they would be representatives of God in the world. 
a people set apart, a people holy to the Lord, a light to the nations. And this law was established through a covenant, a two-way relationship. The people of God commit to live in a way that brings him honor and glory, to obey the law, to worship him alone, to witness to the nations a different way of being and living. And God commits himself to being the God of his people, to bless them with prosperity and fertility, to give them children and a good harvest, to protect them from war and disease and famine so that they may worship him in peace. In the book of Deuteronomy, as the people of God prepare to cross over the Jordan into the promised land, God renews this covenant with them on the plains of Moab, reminding them of their duty, their responsibility to live in a way that sets them apart from the nations of the world as God's special and holy people, reminding them of his duty to bless them and keep them and make his face shine on them and be gracious to them, to give them peace. But God has another duty that is explained in the book of Deuteronomy, a duty that is called the covenant curses, and it's this that Jeremiah refers to again and again. And that is that if God's people fail to keep their end of the covenant relationship, if they turn to idolatry and worship false gods, if they fail to uphold the principles of justice and mercy, if they do not care for those whom God loves, the orphan, the widow, the poor, the foreigner, if they abandon their special relationship with the God who made them, then God has a responsibility to call them to account. God will turn the nations against them in his wrath, and send them away from the land that he promised them. God will remove his presence from the temple and enslave them under the yoke of foreign rule. In a lot of ways, it's a reverse of the Exodus. God sends his people into exile. Where God once delivered his people from the bonds of Egypt, from the land of slavery, God will once again deliver his people into slavery at the hands of a foreign ruler who does not know God. And this is the message that Jeremiah is called to bring. That God is shaping disaster for his people. God is invoking the covenant curses. He will dash Jerusalem like a clay jar against the rocks because his people have hardened their hearts and have rejected the covenant. They have not only embraced pagan worship, setting up altars to gods of wood and stone. That's, that's not all that they've done. In this passage, we learn that the people of Israel have built high places in the valley of Hinnom, where they sacrifice their children to Baal. A practice so wicked, so thoroughly depraved, that God cannot even imagine it, much less command it. On the roofs of their houses, they have burned incense to the stars. Even their kings have offered sacrifices to false gods. 
The valley of Ben-Hinnom has become a place of slaughter as they offer their children to the fire. And so, God says, he will curse them for their wickedness. They have become a pot without use. And so God will smash them against the rocks. He will bring down the covenant curses to rebuke his people because they have turned against him and have not even recognized the gravity of their sins. God relates this to Jeremiah through the parable of the potter. Jeremiah is led by God to a potter's house where he sees the potter working the clay, but the clay is marred in his hands, so he forms it into another pot. In this parable, as chapter 18 explains, God is the potter. The Hebrew word for potter is yotzer, which comes from the verb yatsar, which means to form or to shape. And this word to the Hebrew ear brings us all the way back to the creation story, to the first place where this word is used in Genesis 2, verse 7, where scripture tells us that, God, that the Lord formed man, the Lord shaped man out of the dust of the earth, like a potter shapes his clay. This passage when we first read it, seems hopeless. But it is really quite hopeful because hidden in the parable of the potter and the clay is a message of repentance and restoration. Chapter 19, where Jeremiah smashes the pot against the rocks, is a warning of what happens to God's people if they do not repent. But chapter 18, the parable of the potter and the clay, is an invitation to allow God to mold and shape us as he wills. By bringing us back to the story of creation, Jeremiah shows us that God has the power to reshape the clay of his creation however he wishes. And so God has the power to reshape and remold those who he has made. I don't know if you've ever seen a potter at work, but it's, it's mesmerizing. Two years ago, there was a potter who came to the All Ontario Youth Convention to show, to show us how he works, and it was incredible. The potter takes a lump of clay, which is this kind of soft, crumbly block of earth, and he dips it in water. And the water transforms the nature of the clay and makes it hold together in a way that it can be shaped and molded. The potter takes the clay, and to make it pliable, to make it flexible, he smashes it on his potter's stone, on his potter's wheel. He smashes it on the wheel, and then the wheel spins round and round, and the potter carefully works the clay with his hands, moving it and shaping it and molding it, guiding it with his hands to take the shape that he wants. The wheel spins round and round at his command, increasing speed, decreasing speed, all so that he can shape the wet clay however he desires. If the pot takes a shape that he didn't mean for it to take, he stops the wheel, picks up the whole lump of clay that he's been forming, and smashes it again so that it's just a lump of clay. 
And then he starts the wheel spinning again and adds water to shape it anew, adding water with his hands to make it more pliable, more flexible, until it takes the shape that he intends. And through this passage in the book of Jeremiah, we learn that this is what God is doing. God's people are clay, and he is the potter, forming and shaping and molding us to be what he desires us to be. And as Jeremiah watches the potter take a vessel that has been marred and smash it against the potter's wheel to form it into another shape, God tells him, like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation, I warned, repents of its evil, then I will relent and will not inflict on it the disaster that I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended for it. God speaks to Jeremiah here in the language of his call from chapter 1, where he tells him, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. God warns his people that he is shaping disaster against them. And the word there is the same word for to form or to shape that the New Revised Standard Version translates verse 11 there, I am a potter shaping disaster against you. I am a potter forming destruction for you. God warns his people that he is shaping disaster against them. And he calls them to turn from their wickedness so that he can have mercy on them. Even though he knows they will not. What we learn from this passage in Jeremiah, though, is that no one is beyond hope. We learn that God has the power to reshape what he has made. God's creation has been marred by sin. Humankind has rebelled against the God who made it. God's own people have fallen into wickedness beyond anything that God could have imagined. And still, God tells Jeremiah, I am the potter, and my people are the clay. I will wash them with water and form and shape them according to my will. The early Christians saw in this passage a clear symbol of baptism. John Chrysostom, a pastor in Constantinople in the 5th century, saw this passage as a, as a reminder of the power of baptism to reshape our lives. And the language of our own baptismal form echoes his words. When we fall into sin, we should not give up hope. We should not despair of salvation, but take to heart God's mercy for the forgiveness of sins. Because God will take our hardened, crumbling lump 
of earth and wash it in the healing waters of Christ's blood. Softening us in the waters of baptism through the work of his spirit to form and shape us in a way that he desires. God promises to forgive even those for whom he has decreed destruction if they repent and turn to him. A hardened pot cannot be reshaped, but wet clay is easy to mold. And in our baptism, we covenant with God to daily die to our old selves and be risen to new life in Christ. What we are taught in this passage is that God is infinitely merciful and always faithful. God does not abandon his creation to be marred by sin, to burn in the fires of Topheth, to be hardened in the valley of Gehenna. Instead, God begins the process of reshaping it, of molding it into something new, into what he desires for it to be. And this process begins with the person of Jesus Christ. The early Christians taught that in his incarnation and resurrection, Christ is the potter who reshapes human flesh. By his blood, humankind is washed and made new into wet clay for God to shape and form. By his life, death, and resurrection, all of creation is set on a course to restoration. As God breathes the life of his spirit to the ends of the earth so that he may make all things new. God reshapes people, nations, humanity itself, even all of creation as a potter shapes his clay. In the words of Psalm 2, though the nations may conspire the kings of the earth rise up. The rulers band together against the anointed one of God. God sits enthroned in heaven, ruling over his creation as the sovereign Lord. The plans of the wicked will come to ruin as God breaks them with an iron rod, smashes them like pottery. But those who take refuge in him will be blessed. Those who turn to the Lord will receive mercy. Those who recognize their sin and allow God to wash them with the healing waters will be made new. And they will inherit the earth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said. O Lord, our God, and our King, we stand before you as fallen people, as sinful people, knowing that we have failed to live up to everything that you call us to do. We have not loved you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. 
both in what we have done and what we have left undone, in what we have said and in what we have failed to say, we have fallen short of all that you intend for us to be. And so we pray, O oh Lord, that you will take our dry, crumbling piece of earth and wash it with the healing waters of your mercy. Take away our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. Make us soft clay, wet clay, wet with the waters of baptism so that you may form and shape us according to your will so that you may form and shape us for your glory and your honor, so that you may form and shape us in a way that pleases you, O Lord our God. Bless us, we pray, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.